Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy Wednesday to you. Oh, wait a minute. Happy Wednesday. You know what that means? It's Everybody Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show. We have a, a an offer to give to you today. We got a special author who'll be joining me to talk about what, what the crux of our conversation will be here in hour number one of the program. And uh, but the great news is when anyone calls in today uh, at 800-227-5278, uh, you're going to win something because it's everyone wins day. It's just it's it's kind of our gift from us to you. Uh, we know that it's tough. <laughs> Sometimes people just need a little smile, a little encouragement. And uh, if you have <clears throat> if you're those people, I have some good friends, uh, Robert and Amy Jacobson. If you're listening, guys, how are you? Robert's a pastor. Amy, obviously, pastor's wife. I think she's a preschool teacher. And those two are the people who have the knack for winning contests. They're not compulsive gamblers by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't know how many times I'll dial up my social media page, and there they are at a concert or having dinner or you know something something that didn't cost them anything because they were what, listening to a radio station or you know on a TV program or something like that. They just have that knack. I do not have that knack. And so there, there's, I have a very uh, soft spot in my heart for people who don't win stuff. I remember winning a Hot Wheels track one time. It was a, some movie giveaway back in Whittier a million years ago when I was a kid. And they were giving away a Hot Wheels, full set of a track and cars and Hot Wheels. I don't know how I won it. I won it. That's one of the only things I've ever won. Uh, that and winning the heart of my lovely wife. That was, that was a huge prize for me, too. But uh, so today's Everyone Wins Day. Uh, Dr. Connie Clark is going to join me coming up next to talk about understanding and loving your bonus children. But it got me thinking about the traditional family in the United States. She has some statistics Connie Clark does in her book that she co-authored with Steve Arterburn about um, the family size of the American family and how it has changed over the years. Uh, she has a statistic about the so-called traditional family versus the non-traditional family. And it's been pretty common about about as recently as 10 years ago, statistics indicated that the traditional family, mom and dad get married and have 2.5 kids or 3.5 kids, that was pretty much flying out the door. Um, but it hasn't always been Little House on the Prairie, you know, with 15 kids and, you know, working the land and that type of stuff here in the U.S. Um, I, so I did some digging because I've, I've heard as recently as 10 years ago, the number of traditional families, 25%. One out of every four families, as of 10 years ago, was helmed by mom and dad who got married and had a couple of kids. That was the family. The other 75% were a single parent or maybe a remarriage or maybe uh, someone who was adopting kids or foster kids or something like that. And it got me thinking about the family and the family dynamics and the way we understand them, especially as we are grandparents and uh, those of us who are blessed enough to be grandparents and some of the bottom line listener calls we've had recently about how many grandchildren and great-grandchildren we all have is really stupendous. But if you look at Census Bureau data going back to the 18th century, in 1790, the first time anybody here in the United States actually measured um, our actual family size, the average family size in America was 5.79 people per household, not 5.79 children, 5.79 people. So basically it was mom and dad and four kids on average. How has that changed over the years? Well, let's take a look at, this is from worldpopulationreview.com. 
the number of an average household side has declined. By the time we hit 2010, it was 2.58. Now you can do the math and that understands, helps us understand a lot. Um, when it comes to the number of people in the house, if you do have a married couple or a cohabitating couple and they have a child, uh, they're typically between the ages of 35 and 39. There are approximately 128 and a half million households in the United States. And a household just means the people who are living in that state or in that, that state of being. But remember, if the average household size used to be 5.79 under the roof, and now it's 2.58, that's a pretty dramatic drop, isn't it? Add to that the fact that the birth rate has declined rather dramatically. The highest birth rate in the United States is 14.9 births for every 1,000 women who are of childbearing age. But here are the largest household sizes. And it's interesting because here in the People's Republic of California, all we ever hear about is tolerance and acceptance and inclusivity and non-traditional and whatever. Well, guess who has the second largest household size in the United States? Yep, the People's Republic of California is in a dead heat with Hawaii. Number 10 on this list is Nevada. Actually, they're at number nine. They're tied with Arizona. 2.65 people per household. Number seven is a tie between Idaho and New Jersey, 2.66. Georgia has 2.68 people per household. Alaska has 2.78. Texas, 2.83. Now, you would think that the average family size in Texas would be a lot larger because there's more land and it's more family friendly. And, and yet the average home in Texas is either single parent raising one and three quarters kids or mom and dad, and they're just getting started on their family. Second place, it's a tie between California and Hawaii at 2.94 people per household. Utah is number one with 3.09 people per household. Do you have any idea what that means? <laughs> what it means is those of us in the ministry world who have been looking at the family, I think of all the marriage ministries. Let's strengthen the marriage. Mom and dad get married. Let's keep that marriage together. They're fighting for an ideal, which I believe is biblical, right, and true. No question about it. But I say that to you as a man who has been divorced and remarried. divorced and remarried to a woman who's also been divorced and remarried. So I know the divorce rate can be high. I also understand too, that sometimes in the body of Christ, we unwittingly do ourselves a disservice by looking at people who are in what we would call non-traditional families and saying, well, you know what? Uh, sorry that you're in that situation, but you should really work and try to get more harder to try to get like, we believe God, is the, says is the biblical standard. You know, and, and we look at the New Testament, you know, you're going to be an elder and deacon, you're the husband of one wife, you know, uh, given to temperance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you look in the Old Testament, good golly, I mean, <laughs> let's be real. The people of God were still into polygamy and, you know, children out of wedlock, and it was not a pretty picture. I have to wonder how many people are hearing the gospel 
but then seeing these kind of unspoken rules that are in there. Like the good news of the gospel is for you unless you've been divorced. The good news of the gospel is for you unless you started out as a single parent who had a child out of wedlock and well, you know. I mean, and I bring this up in all sincerity, not just because of my situation being a divorced and remarried guy, but I bring this up just to remind us that let's face it, there are a lot of post-abortive women, for example, who really don't appreciate or resonate to the message of abortion is horrible and it's awful and it's terrible and we've got to fight everything we can to get rid of it out of the culture. And if you've had an abortion, there's something wrong with you. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not suggesting abortion isn't sin, but there are lots of sins. I'm not suggesting that a life wasn't taken, but another life was dramatically impacted. Can we be a bit more compassionate and kind to women who've had abortions, to people who've wandered down the road of same-sex attraction and gotten involved in that for drug and alcohol abuse and th- I mean, all sorts of sins that people are involved in. Back to the family though. Sometimes I wonder if we have done ourselves a disservice in the body of Christ by making such an idol of the biblical marriage that we're not reaching people with the gospel uh, who are not in a so-called biblical marriage. And oh, by the way, that traditional family Mom and dad were dad's the breadwinner or mom's the breadwinner. One parent is the breadwinner and the other one's home with their 1.2 kids. That makes up 7% of the households in America today. 7%. That might have been what you grew up with, but that sure ain't the way it's happening now. So chances are you are going to have a bonus child or a bonus grandchild in your family. If you don't have one now, you're going to have one soon statistically. When the non-traditional families now outnumber the nuclear families in America, 40% of all married parents have children from a previous marriage or relationship. If that's you, or if you're a grandparent now who says, this is the way our family works, I've got good news for you. Dr. Connie Clark and Steve Arterburn of New Life Ministries have put together a book, a resource called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. This is celebrating the non-biological parent and or grandparent and the bonus children or grandchildren. This is a resource I think as time has come, the church desperately needs to hear this message. And that's why I've asked Dr. Connie Clark to join me on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Well, it's fairly safe to say that the 21st century has become the century when we see the so-called non-biological parent taking center stage, whether it's through adoption, foster care, whether it's divorce and remarriage. Um, There are lots of bonus kids that are showing up in families. And as a result, you may find yourself in a bonus grandparenting situation if that is your lot. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to talk about a brand new resource that's called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. It's written by uh, Stephen Arterburn with New Life Ministries and also Dr. Connie Clark, who has been in private practice for more than uh, 30 years, specializing in marriage and family relationships, communication skills, anger management, et cetera, et cetera. She's also been a college professor, worked as a cognitive behavioral therapist at Texas Children's Hospital. And she and her husband, Ken, are plotting a move out of Texas at some point, which is so unusual when you hear about people moving into Texas. Connie Clark, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much. And we love Texas. We really do. It's just our sure. kids are outside of the state of Texas. So we're yep. trying to get near them. So you have to go where they're at. Absolutely. You know, and I, I, I fought that for the longest time until Lisa and I started looking at our grandkids and going, but, but, 
And the next thing you know, we're, we're doing the out-of-state step as well. Well, something else that I know is very uh, germane to a lot of our listeners, and definitely in the Marsh household too, is the bonus child concept. Dr. Connie Clark, help us understand what this means. Because a lot of times you'd hear a bonus, and that would, in generations past, it meant, whoops, we had two or three kids, and then 10 years later, we got kind of an extra bonus baby. What you're talking about kind of broadens that, uh, that definition, doesn't it? Yes, and actually, I think it's kind of replacing the, the stepchild. I think there's some negative connotations with the stepchild and also the step parent. I think, you know, just saying a bonus parent, uh, bonus child takes that negative connotation that we've heard so many, you know, things about that we're trying to get away from that. Now, it's interesting when you look at the statistics, I have been in Christian media and ministry for about 40 years, and I know that sometimes one of the things that will make the little hairs on the back of my neck stand up is when I'll hear a ministry saying, okay, we're, we're all about traditional values, we're all about traditional, 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 and I get that. I understand that God's plan A is that a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, the two become one flesh, they're fruitful and multiply, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes I wonder if we in the church are missing a cultural phenomenon that's really been going on for quite some time. Talk about the fact, Dr. Connie Clark, that we don't live in that world, and it hasn't been that way for quite some time. The so-called non-traditional family has become the norm in our culture. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, the churches have been a little behind in embracing that, but they are working so hard to do that. Even, you know, New Life Ministry, which is what Steve Arterburn is the president of, they have been trying to, uh, they're doing workshops to help our families. And that also includes blended families. And so mm -hmm. I think that the churches are wanting to have resources and information because they realize that people in their churches are blended families for many different reasons. And so, you know, they are missing a, a large portion of people as far as in ministry. So I see a lot of churches embracing the blended family. And you're right though, I, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years when I first started. And even, you know, in my, um, my graduate work, there wasn't a lot of information about blended families. And so I do think it's wonderful that the churches are starting to see, hey, we need to help these uh, people to have a strong marriage and a strong family and help their kids. Dr. Connie Clark is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. She and Steve Arterburn are the co-authors of a brand new book called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Of course, I've known Steve for many, many years, and uh, he has a wonderful blended family story uh, to share. Um, but when we look at what's happening in the church right now, divorce rates being what they are, and sometimes a blended family happens. I'm talking to a lot more parents who are in blended families because one spouse passed away. You know, I mean, when you talk about couples in their 30s, you know, where the husband dies unexpectedly and mom has young children and wants to remarry. Uh, talk about some of the basics in terms of, I mean, you can give us the statistics if you want to, but uh, talk about what the bonus child dynamic really looks like, because I'm sure a lot of us um, are parents or grandparents who say, well, I got married, married to my original spouse. We had a number of kids, they've got grandkids and that, plot is continuing here. For those who aren't quite aware of how the bonus child dynamic works, help us understand that. Yeah, the bonus child dynamics, it can go from, you know, you've got two, two people perhaps that have divorced and they have children and then they find another partner that they have a family that they blend together. It can also mean, um, you know, 
you know, when I, the book doesn't necessarily address it, but there are also adult children that are having to deal with being a bonus child. Yes. If, they, yes. if one of their parents have passed away and that parent remarries. And so I've seen some of that also in counseling. And so, yes, this bonus child, um, it's coming from, and then it can be where the person has a bonus child, um, you know, that they're bringing into the marriage or they're bringing into the marriage too. I've seen where someone gets custody of a child that really wasn't their biological child. And yet then that's another bonus. So mm-hmm. it gets, it gets really complicated. And yet um, we, we're trying for it not to be complicated because we have so many children that are hurting. I see so many children in counseling that are needing to have parents that understand what it's like from their perspective, being a bonus child. Let's talk about the resource then. Is it written primarily for the benefit of the, this is what bonus kids have been telling you and Steve Arterburn, uh, Dr. Connie Clark, about what they want parents to know. Is this what you're seeing in your private practice and the counseling that you're doing? Um, where, where did you start as kind of a foundation for this book, understanding and loving your bonus child? Yes, the foundation did start with my practice. And, um, and of course, also, you know, Steve Arterburn, they do a lot of calls coming in on new live radio, and people are asking questions about blended families. And so, yes, I started seeing that, um, you know, in my private practice, I saw a young, a lot of young children coming, you know, as you had mentioned earlier, I worked at Texas Children's Hospital here in Houston. And some of the kids were having problems with other things, but it was actually a symptom of their blended family trying to get along with that, like their depression or anxiety. And so, I just continue to see kids and then kids would come in and they would share with me, I'm tired of being pulled in both directions. Um, and then I'd have parents, I go, my, you know, a, a step parent or a bonus parent would say, you know, my kids are being disrespectful to me. What am I supposed to do about that? And right. so it came out of need of a lot of questions that parents and children were coming to me, uh, even though I didn't put myself out there initially as, you know, a, a counselor working with blended families, it began to be that way because the need is so great in the communities. 40% of all married parents right now in America have children from a previous marriage or a previous yes. relationship. Wow. I mean, that's nearly yeah. a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible. I, I often put this in front of pastors who listen to the bottom line show and say, look, when you're in the pulpit this Sunday, take a look at your congregation. <laughs> Most pa- you know, congregations are 7,500 people. Take a look at that number. And then here are some statistics, kind of lay that out there in terms of maybe how many women have had an abortion or how many people will vote, you know, in a different way than your political views to be able to stand in front of a congregation and say, look, it, if there's a hundred people in the congregation, 40 of these people right now, if they're married, if they're all married parents have a child from a different relationship living in their home right now. And then have the, the, the ripple effect, you know, the kind of echo that goes on. Now we're talking, well, this isn't just mom and dad who have to learn how to deal with this. This is grandma and grandpa. This is aunts yes. and uncles too. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about the impact it has on, let's say there's grandparents who say, you know, gosh, my, my son was married and his wife passed away and now he's remarried and we've got these extra kids. And quite frankly, I don't relate to the new kids as well as I relate to the old, older kids. Talk about that. Yeah, it's amazing how bonus child, it can go to grandparents also. And you see so many more grandparents um, that are helping raise grandchildren, whether it's babysitting them while the parents are working or, um, or whatever, the, you know, maybe they're not able to take care of them for different reasons. And so the parents are taking these kids on, including uh, the bonus kids. And so you'll see grandparents that are going, how do I, you know, this, I, I, 
you know, was raised around my grandkids, but now I have a bonus grandchild. And how am I supposed to uh, help raise this child when I haven't even, you know, grown up with, or they haven't grown up with me. And so I, I work with all different kinds of family dynamics. And, and you do see a lot of grandparents that are asking for help too. In fact, that was just recently, I was on a a call with Steve and a lady had came in or called in and she had asked that question, hey, I can't even, I can't see my grand, my, my grandchildren or my bonus grandchildren. And what, what can I do about that? Just mm. some family dynamics. So you see it everywhere. It's not just stopping at, you know, the, the bonus family. It's also the grandparents. And, uh, and that can be hard too. It, you know, I've had you know, families share with me that the grandparents aren't treating the bonus kids right. They only want mm -hmm. the biological grandkids to come to their house. And that sure. can be really hurtful. So um, we're, we're trying to work with that. And I'm trying to give them some resources to help them have a better, better family. Well, one of the resources that we're recommending today here on the Bottom Line Show is the book by Stephen Arterburn and Dr. Connie Clark. It's called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. We've got a link to the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll be giving one away at the end of our conversation. We'll take a quick break. And as we continue, let's put some uh, uh, leather to the feet, if you will. Let's let's get some practical ideas here for some of the common obstacles that uh, families face and ways that we can overcome them. Because at the end of the day, the name of the game is you want the family to blend, knowing it's not going to necessarily blend perfectly, but it can do a much better job than unfortunately happens in a lot of blended families. More of my conversation with Dr. Connie Clark in just a moment as the Thank bottom you. line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. So good to have you along for the ride today as we are in the midpoint of my conversation about bonus children and bonus grandchildren. Uh, just a great dialogue today here uh, on the Bottom Line to talk about a reality here that people are, are facing all the time. And Dr. Connie Clark has been uh, diligent to chronicle this in her private practice and also uh, to write a book about this called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. It's a, uh, a book that she has co-authored with Stephen Arterburn of New Life Ministries. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have a copy of the book to give away. And I always give, since you get to hear this in the first part of the program, I'll give you first dibs, if you will. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Remember, today is Everyone Wednesday. Which means everyone who calls is going to win something. We have one copy of Dr. Connie Clark's book to give away. And, you know, this is a, an issue for us. Uh, obviously, bonus children are a, an issue for parents who are in blended families. But it's, a, I think, perhaps maybe even a tougher issue when it comes to us in the grandparenting season. Um, there are times when you have kids that are introduced into the family and you know, there was a divorce or maybe there was a death and remarriage or maybe you have kids who just... Uh, start adopting other kids. I, I have good friends with a couple who are retired recently, great godly family. They, uh, their, their son married a young woman. They've been uh, Christian school graduates, college graduates, and they had three kids of their own. And then their church really got involved in fostering and then adopting. And now they have four other grandchildren who are adopted into the family. And I'm not suggesting that they don't care for those four any more than they do for their original three. Um, and that's just with this one uh, son, but it does change the dynamic of the family, you know, a, a lot. And, and it does get, to, I, I asked Connie this question during the opening segment, you know, what happens if you're a grandparent and your kids either 
through divorce and remarriage or death and remarriage or adoption, wind up bringing other children into the home. And you're kind of like, well, I like the first one better. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I, it's okay to say that. I'm sure that's happened before. I, I'm very fortunate. Lisa's very fortunate. We love all of our kids and grandkids equally. What is it? God loves us equally, but not all the same because we all have different needs. But um, at the same time, you know, when you think about this, the bonus child conundrum can also be a bonus grandchild situation too. And that's why I highly recommend this book. Dr. Connie Clark, the book is called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. We're giving one away today. 800-227. We're giving away a book, not a child. I, I, sorry, I realized that but the language didn't fail. It, it failed me there for a moment, the way I presented those words. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Remember, it's Everyone Wednesday, so everyone who calls in is going to get something. Teresa cannot wait to take your calls. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, the conclusion of my conversation with Dr. Connie Clark, talking about understanding and loving your bonus child and understanding and loving your bonus grandchild as well. And how about that bonus uh, other significant other as well? All sorts of things to, for us to get into in segment number two as the bottom line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care? And if you need one or both, you both have it. That's right, permanent income inflation benefits, long-term care benefits with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our clients' money in the 4D account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. It's all about restitution and it's a biblical concept. The idea that you need to replace what was taken from you or what you lost in a personal injury accident. And Stephanie Cover is the woman who has the spiritual know-how and the legal expertise to make that happen. A lot of laws changed during COVID. Don't try to do this on your own. Contact Stephanie Cover today. Learn more at kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law. Dr. Connie Clark is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We are having a delightful conversation about a difficult subject. I mean, it's, it, there's no two ways about it. And not only is it difficult, but it's one that I think in the church, as we mentioned in the opening segment, we have been slow on the uptake to embrace the fact that 40% of American families right now, 40% of all mar married parents have children from a previous marriage or relationship in their family, how that impacts grandparents, how that impacts aunts and uncles. Uh, Dr. Clark is the co-author with Steve Arterburn of a brand new book called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Connie, during the break, you were talking about one of the biggest challenges that parents have to confront, that grandparents have to confront, and even bonus kids themselves have to deal with first and foremost before you could really get any kind of traction in blending a family, and that is the issue of divided loyalties. Talk talk about that from a clinical perspective, but also from a practical perspective too, because you can't make kids feel a certain way. Say, hey, just get along. You know, right. <laughs> that's hard. Well, and I, I, you know, I try to help them not, you know, 
bluntly saying get along. Now I do tell the parents that sometimes <laughs> that they need to get along with the other parents, but the divided loyalties has to do with the kids. The kids feel like if they go and spend time with their dad and their bonus mom and they have a great time and they go back to their mom, their biological mom, they feel like they can't share that because they've got to be loyal to their mom and they don't want the mom to think they've had fun. And so what that does, it makes a lot of anxiety happen with these children. And I'm telling the adults, just try to be happy for them if they're having fun at whoever's house they're at um, and be okay and ask them questions. Did you have fun? And not giving them the third degree. How much money did mom spend right. or dad spend? And they <laughs> yeah, ask yeah, that. They yeah. ask the kids that. And so the kids feel like they have to be loyal to their biological parent. I even had one little girl. She said, you know, I actually enjoy being with my bonus mom, my stepmom, more than my biological mom, because my mom is just, and she was struggling with her own things. Mm -hmm. And so but she said, I cannot tell my mom that she, you know, so I have to keep that away from my mom. So it almost teaches kids to start keeping secrets at an early age. And that is not a good thing to start at an early age. And you see a lot of uh, kids that don't realize they've got it's okay to have fun at both houses and talking to the adults so then they start keeping secrets um, about what they've done and that is that opens up a whole nother kind of worm clinically as far as learning to keep secrets at a young age let's talk about this from a parents and grandparents perspective because i know as a uh, grandparent and a parent of bonus children myself uh, there are times when it's challenging because my dad or grandpa you know reflex kicks in and i just want to I want to be that way. Mm -hmm. And I have to take a step back and say, wait a minute, not your kids. I mean, they are your children to, you know, and, and yes. grandchildren to, to love and be there. But at the same time, it's kind of a different set of rules, isn't it, Dr. Connie Clark? Yes, it is. In fact, uh, I worked with one of the workshops that New Life put on with uh, Jim Burns. With He was talking about parenting. And the title of his book, I love it. It says, put the welcome mat out, but keep mm. your mouth shut. Mouth shut, right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I have, you know, and I'm a visual learner. And I just remember seeing that the cover of his book. And so, so many times I've had to do that myself. It's like, you just want to go, why did you do that to one of your adult kids? And you really right. have to just, you know, unless, you know, there's something real severe, but even then you've got to really pray about that and think about how you're going to word that carefully. And, um, but yeah, most of the time you're just kind of in the background, loving on the kids and trying to support your own adult kids or your adult bonus kids um, as they're trying to parent the grandchildren. What do you say to the couple that comes to you and says, Dr. Clark, we're having problems. We've been doing everything we think we know how to do, but there's one of the parents or grandparents in the mix that's kind of turning out to be a bad apple. They're mm -hmm. not, they're not a well, bad actor. Maybe they're not playing fair. They're kind of, you know, mm -hmm. overindulging the kids and, you know, trying to keep secrets, that type of stuff. What's a good way to begin to address that potential problem? Yeah. And I think that uh, one of the things is you have to, again, you've, you've got to build a relationship with that person first, because if you just go in going, hey, you're doing everything wrong, this is what you need to do right. Of course, that's not going to go well. And so I do think you've got to work on that relationship and accept the reality that the the other parent, the other biological parent, the other grandparents, they are part of the family. I've had so many, you know, uh, step parents, bonus parents go, okay, yeah, I just kind of put that to the side. I don't want to think about them, you know, being part of the family and they're not part of our family. Yes, they are. You may not like it, but they mm -hmm. are part of the family. And so it's like having a relative that maybe you didn't <laughs> really care for, but you've got to find ways to connect for the children's benefit. And, and there always are parents that 
you know, or the Disneyland parents, you know, they're giving them everything right. out of guilt. And so, right. you know, and if I hear that, and that's one of my patients, we talk about their guilt because that's where that's coming from, or they're, you know, feeling bad for their kids. And so I'm trying to help them realize why they're, you know, doing that. Uh, and then you've got the other parent that they're just being, you know, a major obstacle in everything. They just disagree about everything they fight. And, and so sometimes until they can communicate well, then I say there's nothing wrong with texting. Uh, and sometimes that gets carried away. And I'm like, then do emails. Uh, some people cannot even verbally talk mm. to their, their ex. And that's wow. really sad because that shows the kids that these adults are not able to do that. And it is hard. I, you know, I've seen it happen and it is hard, but you have to constantly work at it. Communication is so important, not only with the kids, but with the kids as, you know, their parents, their grandparents, it's just something that has to be done. And you just have to constantly work at it. Be I'm intentional. I'm talking with Dr. Connie Clark today here on The Bottom Line, and she's the co-author, along with Stephen Arterburn, of a brand new book called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Connie, we got a few moments left in our time together, and I know that this is primarily for the parents with the younger kids or maybe teenagers or even young adults that are still kind of, you know, uh, waffling in and out of the home, you know, not really mm -hmm. maybe leaving and coming back and leaving yeah. and coming back. But there's a phenomenon that's been happening over the past decade or so, the so-called gray divorce, where you see people have been married 25, 30 years, yes. they're in their 50s now, they're maybe their 60s, they wind up getting divorced, and then they get remarried as well. And now you're talking to kids who might be 35 or 40, saying, yes. wait, wait a minute, my, my parents got divorced, and that, or maybe dad was widowed and he's married again. Talk about some practical principles that adult children can put into play when they realize, hey, wait, you know, dad's good and grown. He can get married again if he wants to, or mom can. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a part of me that says, but no, wait, you have to be married to my parents, you know, my yes. mom, my dad. How, what, what are some ways that maybe the parents can help the kids, the kids can help the parents in that scenario? Yeah, you know, I have a really good friend and she's okay. She told me I could tell her story. She's not my patient, but uh, that happened to her. Her, her. her father had passed away. And so her mother, for the longest time, uh, for, you know, probably 10 years, went on vacations with them and helped take care of their kids. And, um, and then she met somebody at church and she decided to get married and he has children. And mm. so now my friend was really struggling with the jealousy that the mom is spending time with his kids and her kids mm. and just feeling like, well, how come she's taking them on vacation, right. not me? And so, um, yeah, so that that is a very real um real term, the gray divorce. And it is. And so I try to work with, um, you know, the, the adult children going, I just wish my mom hadn't remarried because it would be easier. And like, yeah, but she needs to be happy and she, you want her to be happy. Um, and so just helping them realize that she deserves, or he or she, your parent deserves to be happy and uh, to try to work through, hey, let, let's find a compromise. This will be a great tool for you to help you when your kids get married and then they have you know, family with their spouse. I mean, that this is a, a preparation for you. And so, and it is hard. So just being able to communicate and even talking with the parents say, hey, I'm really, you know, I'm happy for you, but I'm really struggling that we don't get to spend as much time with you because you're splitting right. weekends with, with him or her and the other kids. And so communication again, but not when you're upset, um, but I think starting with communication and just, again, being aware and being happy that the parent is getting someone else that they can spend their life with, uh, but then talk about 
what, why is that bothering? You know, when I have an adult uh, child come in, I ask them, what, what is the thing that's the hardest? And usually they don't like the parent, you know, having, giving attention to someone else, even though we're right. adults, it's right. really hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, it's a tough challenge. And I know I've lived that dream with my kids and my <laughs> new marriage too. And I, and I understand, you know, the, the feelings on all sides, you know, and I think right. it's, as long as we keep the lines of communication open and use that great line from my friend and mentor, Dr. Jim Burns, you know, keep the welcome mat out and your mouth shut. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could go a long way toward mending oh, some a of the, long uh, way. And it's such a yes. short phrase, but so important. It really is. Well, Dr. Connie Clark, this is a great resource. I know it's going to help a lot of people in every season of parenting is now that the bonus child phenomenon has become pretty much the norm. And there are more non-traditional families than the so-called nuclear family here in the U.S. This resource will be a game changer for a lot of families. The book is called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child by Stephen Arterburn and Dr. Connie Clark. We've got a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com. Uh, Dr. Clark, thank you for being with us today to talk about this important topic here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. God bless your show. Well, thank you, and God bless your ministry as well, Dr. Connie Clark, and what a great resource to have to be able to use as a, a primer, if you will, uh, in some cases for those who this might be a brand new experience uh, with the bonus child or bonus grandchild, and for others, uh, this is kind of the new norm, and you've been living that dream for a while, but uh, I'm so grateful that we have a resource like this to use as kind of a playbook. Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child by Dr. Connie Clark and Stephen Arterburn. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have one copy of this book to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And remember, it's Everyone Wednesday, so everybody who calls is gonna win something. 800-227-5278, that's the number to get you through to the bottom line. My thanks again to Dr. Connie Clark for joining me today for this uh, uh, first opening segments of the broadcast to discuss this uh, powerful new book that is going to be a, a huge help for people who are, especially, I, I, I know the book was written primarily for parents. It's called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child. But for those of us in the grandparenting season, um, it, whether, <laughs> I was thinking about this during the break, I mentioned sometimes if you've got biological, you know, your kids get married and they have children of their own, and you, those kids come into the marriage, or maybe there's an adopted child, and you say, yeah, this is great. These are my grandkids. And then maybe one of your kids winds up being divorced or widowed, and they remarry, and there are other kids that come along that aren't necessarily of your family line. And you kind of look at them and go, well, I like the other ones. I mean, they, you know what I mean? I mean, not to say you're going to play favorites. Or maybe it's like, hey, you know, those biological grandkids, I, uh, well, the new ones are better. I don't, either way. I mean, have some fun with it, but understanding and living and loving your bonus child by Stephen Arterburn and Dr. Connie Clark is a, a valuable resource. It's a good one to have if you're a pastor at your church uh, for lending out. Um, it's a good one, especially when you consider the percentage of traditional families in the United States has dropped dramatically. It's 18% are living, you know, a child living with mom and dad. And the dual income, no kids thing, or the dual income, two kids, if you are in the leave it to beaver household, mom and dad are married and mom stays home and dad works or dad stays home and mom works, where there's one income, that's 7% of American families. So chances are the bonus child phenomenon is going to impact your world. And what a better resource to have. Well, I can't think of a better one to have uh, than Connie Clark's book, 
understanding and loving your bonus child. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, Teresa's taking your calls. And of course, everyone wins something today uh, because it's everyone Wednesday. Think about those statistics we were sharing just a moment ago. And the number of people who are living in uh, family situations where the average number in the United States, the average number of people living in a household, and the household is defined as two parents, one parent, bunch of kids, not kids. I mean, your household is your household. You know who lives in your household. You know that song, who are the people in your neighborhood? You know who are the people in your household. In the early, well, the late 1700s, the, the, it was 1790, the first time the Census Bureau actually took a look at this, um, you saw had an average of 5.79 people in the typical American household back in the uh, late 18th century. And fast forward to 2010, the last year we have data for this, the average number of people in the American household has dropped to 2.58. And that's a reference to the fact that that's typically a single parent and one and a half kids. Maybe because of divorce and the kids are splitting their time between mom and dad. Um, maybe because it's a single parent who's raising a child on his or her own. 41% of live births in the United States are out of wedlock, meaning two single parents. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, you know, mom takes the baby home and dad disappeared. In many cases, mom and dad are you know, they're, they're not married, they might be living together, cohabitating, but it, it's a huge change. And the only reason I'm driving down on this number so much is not because that I'm so surprised. I mean, I've seen these numbers for years in youth ministry happening. I think we in the church, if we're going to do some analysis, balance, and get some clarity on the issue, really can do a much better job of meeting the needs of families if we understand what a family looks like in the United States. I've been around media ministry most of my adult life. I had the privilege of getting into broadcasting at the tender age of 21. And I worked a couple of years in secular radio at a couple of different stations. And then I had a chance to go work for uh, the, I think, legendary, the seminal KYMS uh, here in Southern California as a Christian music station. One of the first to play commercial music um, in the country, be commercially supported as opposed to through donations. And ever since then, I've been, worked in youth ministry, media ministry, I've had the privilege of working in Christian television, Christian radio, and secular of, of both. And it boggles my mind sometimes when I see the ministries that are thriving as media ministries that are purporting to address issues like family, you know, care and parenting and marriage and things like that, that are so beholden to the biblical standard, which we should have biblical standards as the goal, but to the point, it, it, if I may use the analogy, if there's a marriage ministry that's doing its thing and saying, we want to take marriages that are good and make them better, or take a marriage that might be a little on the ropes and help strengthen a little, a little bit. Oftentimes, what we're looking for is the marriage that's doing really well, or maybe a little bit not so well, and somebody who's well healed is going to come along and help support that marriage and underwrite it. If you were the proprietor of a hospital, would you only treat the well patients? If you were the pastor of a church and no one ever challenged you on your beliefs about what the Bible teaches about this, or, you know, I'm not talking about petty denominational issues. Do you use wine or communion when you take, no one cared. I mean, if you want to use wine, use wine. If you want to use juice, use juice. 
Do you take communion four times a month? Do you take it three times a day? You do what God's telling you to do. Scripture's clear that we're not to give up meeting together. Baptism and uh, communion are the two sacraments that the whole church can agree on. Those are the majors. If you do communion at the beach wearing T-shirts and shorts or in full vestments, you know, with high holy, uh, you know, sacrament, you figure that out on your own. But when it comes to the family, though, I wonder how many times we're missing the mark. How many kids have questions about same-sex attraction or living together with their boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage? And and the church's answer is, well, you go figure that out. You know, this is the way we do it, you know. And it's one thing to stand firm in your faith for biblical principles. It's another thing to be a jerk about it. And my hope and prayer is that we in the body of Christ have less jerky moments, but more firm moments, standing on the promises of God, standing on the truths of Scripture. See, the beautiful thing is we don't have to be obnoxious about it. We just have to be consistent. We just have to be firm. It's like if you've got a little one running around your house, maybe some toddler and diapers and this, that, and the other thing, and you feel like they're rambunctious and they're out of control, and I just don't know what to do, and I'll stick you in front of a video screen and give you your favorite snack because I just don't want to have to deal with it. But you have to remember at that stage of life, they're just testing the boundaries. They want to know what's permanent, what's not. They want to know what's negotiable, what's not. It's been fun to watch our grandkids know that no means no in grandma and grandpa's house. And it doesn't mean that we hate them. It doesn't mean that we're trying to, you know, ah, what's wrong with you, crazy kid? It's just no. No's a firm no. Nothing wrong with that. So when you get right down to it, the bonus child phenomenon isn't just a cultural thing. All of us have been adopted into God's family. So all of us technically are bonus children in heaven. God chose us, plucked us out of sin and death, and gives us eternal life by his grace. And that's worth celebrating and understanding, too, how that works. We still have a copy of Dr. Connie Clark's book to give away, Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, that's the number to get you through on this Everyone Wednesday here on The Bottom Line. Right after you get into an accident, you need to call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to begin the process of healing. Too many people make the wrong choice and try to handle their case on their own. Don't be gullible. Your insurance company does not have your best interests in mind. Their job is to save money, not help you recover. Stephanie's priority is you. She will help you recover wholly, mind, body, and spirit, as well as get you the settlement you deserve. Begin your recovery by contacting Stephanie first and follow her instructions to streamline your healing process. Stephanie has over 25 years of experience and knows how to get you healed and restored. Although your friends and family may have good intentions, they are not personal injury attorneys, and therefore they do not know the best way to help you. Stephanie Cover does, and she will help you put the pieces back together financially, physically, and spiritually. You need to write down her number now, 877-214-4935, or go to kbrightradio.com slash Law. Your healing begins with Cover Law. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. A few moments more 
for you to call in for the drawing for the Connie Clark book, Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child, 800-227-5278. Of course, it's an Everyone Wednesday, so when we continue uh, getting into the calls and throughout the course of the day, if you didn't get a chance to win that book, that's okay, because if you'd like to win something else, we've got lots of goodies and lots of prizes to share. Hey, question for you. Are you keeping cool? Now, this, typically, when you hear the announcer say that, that he's going to try to sell you air conditioning or something like that. And that's not my desire here today. <laughs> Rather, it's just how to keep cool. I mean, it's amazing how the heat, extreme heat or extreme uh, cold or just extreme weather will really mess people up. My daughter, Emily, and her husband, Brian, um, moved to uh, Texas. They're in the Conroe area just outside of Houston. And uh, they're getting used to not only the heat and the humidity, but also the random rainstorms. I was talking to her. She's uh, working as a teacher, and she was on her way home, actually going to pick up the grandson at his uh, his uh, pre-K before she went home. And I asked her how the weather was, and she said, well, it's kind of tough to drive right now. I left the house this morning. It was beautiful, sunshiny day. Went through the whole day, beautiful, sunshiny day. And within the last half hour, we have thunderstorms, the potential for flooding. <laughs> And I thought, well, welcome to Texas, right, sweetheart? And she said, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. And our other daughter, Taylor, and her husband, Christian, and uh, granddaughter, Zephora, just moved to the Dallas area. So uh, we're going to have to pick up some of those Texas two-step tickets whenever we want to go visit the grandkids, or so it would appear. But the, the heat wave has been so very, very strong all throughout uh, California, Colorado. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And it, it's interesting to me. I'm just going to throw this out here. I don't claim to have... Uh, cornered the market on how to deal with extreme temperatures. But I do find it fascinating how people respond when the weather gets too hot, the weather gets too cold. And how I, I try to listen with God's ear. You know, when I think about our brothers and sisters all over the world who are all living in different climates, different hemispheres, different political systems, this, that, and the other thing. Sometimes I would be willing to wager, though I'm not a gambling man, that if any church leads the league in complaining and grumbling, it would be the American church. I'm just going to throw that out there. I realize there are some serious health challenges. I remember being in Dallas years ago at a convention, and uh, there were people who were having horrible health challenges, senior citizens mostly, because of the fact that they uh, weren't cooling their dwellings to the right temperature or they were they were leaving it on too long or they or they weren't turning it on at all maybe they're concerned about the cost and you know i i figure praise the lord our studio stays nice and cool but when i see people going to social media saying help what do i do what do i do it's so hot help help what do i do i'm thinking to myself well you realize this is the season that we're in and you adjust but does it have to be perfect all the time you know i mean I, that's a question we have to ask number one number two Let's take a look at where the energy comes from that keeps us cool in the summer, keeps us warm in the winter. And now more and more people are, you know, getting into this as far as the cars that they drive. Well, there's a new issue that has reared its ugly head that may or may not be a problem for a lot of consumers. And that is smart technology that does more than just give you sports scores and social media updates on your phone. I'm talking smart cars that have the smart digital technology to where it can connect your home to your computer, to your phone, to your whatever, makes you breakfast, you know, gives you a shave and a haircut while you're at the stoplight. I mean, maybe it doesn't that far yet, but my goodness. And then there is the smart home phenomenon. 
Perhaps you live in a smart home. You know, smart home that has the Alexa that's always listening to you and making suggestions for things to you to buy and uh, ring technology that's in your front doorstep, right? I mean, that it is kind of nice. You know, you could be away from home and, you know, the ring, you know, you hear the down, 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 and all of a sudden there you can see who's at the front door and the whole neighborhood knows somebody's there. But then there's the smart thermostat. Now, the smart thermostat is interesting because you would like to be able to say, I'm just going to go ahead and set my temperature to whatever temperature I want it to be. And I have to admit, there are times in the evening when the air gets a little still and we want to kick things around, to get the air moving again, that it's a lot easier to pull out your phone and knock it down a degree than it is to get up and walk 20 feet over to the thermostat and adjust it. But what happens when the government and the energy companies decide, hey, you know what? We don't like what the marshes are doing and we're going to shut their thermostat down. Or we're going to set it at a temperature and we think you've been running the air too much at 72 degrees and we're going to lock you in at 78. Well, guess what? It's starting to happen and it happened to some of our bottom line show listeners on KLDC. As we continue, we're going to take a look at what happened when Excel Energy locked out tens of thousands of Colorado residents from changing the temperature on their thermostats, all in the name of, quote unquote, conserving energy. Is this America? I mean, this is happening. Or do you think it's a good thing? We'll open up the phones to give you a chance to weigh in on that coming up on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, 800-227-5278 is the uh, number to call to get through to the bottom line show. Uh, We're taking your calls this half hour for the remainder of the broadcast uh, about this situation in Colorado. First, though, before we go any further, I want to congratulate Diane from Laguna Woods, who was the caller who won the the fortunate caller who won a copy of the book by Dr. Connie Clark called Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child, a good book for bonus parents, but also for bonus grandparents as well. Um, and so we've got the link for that book at thebottomlineshow.com. Diane, I hope you enjoy that read. Of course, everybody who called in to get in on the drawing for the book is going to win something. So that's going to keep Teresa busy. But we're happy about that. Um, taking your calls for the rest of the program here on this story out of Colorado. Um, that just is it's a sign of the times. It's here's what happened. Basically, if you if you are outside of the Denver area, uh, the high in Denver was just around 90 degrees last Tuesday. And so when the temperature gets hot, everybody wants to crank the AC up, which means they want to lower the temperature inside. And you know, they, what do they, is that they tell you? The energy companies say, if you want to stay nice and cool, if you cool to 78 degrees and you heat to 68 degrees you know, for the uh, cold days, then you're going to be fine. Now, what they should be telling you, I think, because a lot of people go, wait, it's 100 degrees outside. I don't want to be 78 inside. I want it to be cool inside. But I think if they did a little better job educating their constituents, here's what they would say. They'd say, look, you're outside right now. It's 90 degrees. It's 100 degrees. And, you know, some parts of uh, Southern California has been 110. People are kind of losing their minds. Well, here's the deal. Do you want to be outside in 110 and then walk into a 75 degree house or a 70 degree house? That's a huge mood swing. You figure out what's best for you. They're recommending 78 is a good cooling temperature. Because it feels pretty natural. It's kind of shirt sleeve weather, if you will. But also because it's a pretty, it gives you a lot of room to maneuver between the heat when you're outside and the cool when you're inside. So it seems reasonable that 78 for cooling and 68 for heating would make sense. I know it took me a long time to figure that out. But nonetheless, 
How would you like to be one of the 22,000 people, though, who are customers of Excel Energy, who found themselves locked out of their thermostats when they said, wait, it's over 90 degrees outside. I would like to cool to maybe 68 or 70 or something like that. And they went to adjust their thermostat and got a, eh. sorry, your thermostat is locked in at 78 degrees. Eh. Sorry, your thermostat's locked in at 79 degrees. Eh. Sorry, your thermostat's locked in at 80 degrees. I'd say, what the heck? The, the, the smart technology? I mean, it's 90 degrees outside. I'd like my house to be 70 on the inside. Eh. One resident told a local television station that when he went to his thermostat to adjust it down, instead what he saw was a message on the thermostat that said, we are currently experiencing an energy emergency. Now, okay, who determines what that energy emergency actually is? That's a good question. I think it's a fair question. Uh, what's an energy emergency in the eyes of Excel Energy in Denver, Colorado. Current metro population, by the way, of Denver, 2.9 million people. So 22,000 people isn't, isn't a huge amount. But it does kind of sound a little ominous, doesn't it? Well, here's the deal. If you're a customer of Excel Energy and you are part of the company's AC Rewards Program, the prize you got last Tuesday is that you were locked out of your thermostat because they were shutting you down. It's a program that allows util the, the company itself to remotely control thermostats for, quote, a convenient energy-saving lifestyle with long-term benefits. That's how you're sold. This is what it actually says. And basically, if you join this AC Rewards program, you get a one-time enrollment credit of $100, and then you get $25 off of your electric bill uh, for the rest of the time that you own the home and you're a customer. Here's what the company's position is. By participating in AC Rewards, adjustments are made to your smart thermostat during the hottest summer days. When the demand for electricity is highest, you will help us manage these peaks and ease the strain on electrical grid. You will be cut back on your time Central Air works to cool your home with control of it. Don't you love this? When the demand for electricity is highest, you will help us manage these peaks. And you know how you will help us manage these peaks? We are going to lock you out of your thermostat. That's how they're going to handle it. Now, they call these control events. Control events may occur anytime during the cooling season. You'll have the ability to opt out of control events at any time and receive optional notifications of control events, either from your thermostat, mobile device, or web app. On rare occasions, system emergencies may cause a control event that cannot be overridden. According to Emmett Romine, the Vice President of Customer Solutions and Innovation, uh, this is a voluntary program. Let's remember that this is something that customers chose to be a part of based on the incentives. It helps everybody for people to participate in these programs. It is a bit uncomfortable for a short period of time, but it's very, very helpful. Now, apparently, the reason for the emergency was there was an unexpected outage in a nearby city but Mr. Romine did not mention which city that was. And last time I checked here in the good old U.S. of A, I could drive up and down my street and I could not tell you who's running the air conditioning at what temperature. And you know why? Because of none of my business. Lisa and I know what works best for us. 
Our kids know what's best for them based on where they live and how often they're home or not home, as the case may be. Daughter Kaylee and her husband Kevin live with Kevin's mom right now in a transitional stage, and their home has no air conditioning. So they just go find someplace cool. But I'm curious as to what you think about this. And maybe, first head in line, were you impacted by this? 800-227-5278. Let's do a little survey here and find out. Are you okay with the electric company in your local area shutting you down? I'm not saying turning it. They did not turn the electricity off. They didn't shut the thermostats all the way down. They locked them at a temperature that they said would help them save energy. I've got some thoughts on this, but I'd love to get your thoughts, and especially if you were impacted by this. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And bear in mind, today is Everyone Wins Day. So everyone who calls in for our call-in segment here is going to win something if you so choose. We do have a lot of bottom-line listeners who call in and they want to be on the air, you know, talk about the, whatever the deal is. And then when we ask them if they want a gift, they say, no, nah, it's okay. I don't, but I don't, you guys are so selfless. I really appreciate that. But I, I'll get the ball rolling. I'm not comfortable with the energy company telling me, okay, we'll provide the energy. You manage the flow. You set the fans, if you want to set up fans, you set the air conditioning, whatever, however you want to spend it, that's fine. But when it comes to energy emergencies, we'll tell you when there's an emergency and we'll tell you how much you can cool your home to. Supposing you had someone in your house who had a medical condition and they need to keep the home around 75 degrees and the electric company says, no, you're going to keep it at 80. I know that might sound like an inconvenience to some of us who do not have a health problem. But for those who do, if you're trying to control a fever, maybe you're running a little high risk in terms of you know heat or sensitivity or things of that nature, though five degrees could mean the difference between good health and not. And who determines the health energy emergency? In this case, we were told that a nearby city, quote unquote, had a problem with an outage and they needed to go ahead and protect it. Well, there are... 3 million people in the Denver metro area and 22,000 of them were chosen to no longer have enough control over their own thermostats. I mean, it's not like they shut the thing all the way down. It's 90 degrees outside. It was 80 degrees in the house. It happened for a little while and then it was over. But doesn't that sound a little big brother to you? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're totally fine with it. Maybe... Um, who knows? It might be like one of those things where you work at a certain company and the company policy is, hey, it's always 78 degrees full stop. Don't set it to 77. Don't set it to 76. That's coming out of your paycheck. I work for those companies you have too. And I say this as someone who I could say it freely because we typically don't have power outages at the studio. And if we do, I keep the studio ice cold. I'm that guy. But what do you think? Were you impacted by the Excel Energy shutdown? And what do you think is the proper course of action? Do you Are you supportive of a utility who says, hey, we'll give you smart technology in your home. We'll give you all these little doodads, download the app. You can raise your garage door with the app and you can lower it. You can set your ring camera and you, you could be on vacation and see who's walking by the front of your house. Isn't it great, all this smart technology? Oh, by the way, when we decide that you are running your air conditioning at a level that's generating too much electricity or taking it away, we're just going to go ahead and shut you down. 
Fair enough, because you signed up for the program, or is that a little intrusive? 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about the Excel Energy Company in Denver. Last Tuesday, the temperature hit 90 degrees, and I'm sure there's a lot of bottom line listeners in California saying, oh, I remember the days of 90 degree weather. The company locked some smart thermostats on high. They basically said, here's the deal. We have an energy emergency that we have determined. You have enrolled for our AC smart program that basically gives us, it gives you a savings, no question about it. Um, it gives you a savings, but it basically gives us the authority and the ability to shut your energy down, to lock you in at a certain temperature. And that's because you got a $100 credit for signing up for this voluntary program. And we're going to use this. I mean, on the one hand, they're providing the energy. The energy is a service. I get it. We buy goods and services all the time. You know, we, we shouldn't be too concerned about that. But what do you think? about a company that says, yeah, come on in, let's do this. And then they say, oh, but you know what? We're just gonna arbitrarily make a determination that these 22,000 customers, I mean, if they really wanted to have an issue like this, they could shut down a business. How about some big old turbine burning plant that's got you know hundreds of thousands of square feet? I mean, the, the businesses are using more water, more energy than the homes ever would. And it's like, we're just going to inconvenience the homeowners instead of the businesses. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure that that seems to make sense anyway. But what say you? Do you agree with what happened with this energy company? Uh, are you in Colorado? Were you impacted by it? 800-227-5278. Let's go to the phones now. Roger at the Bottom Line Show talking to Roger in Temecula. Roger, welcome to the Bottom Line today. Good afternoon. Appreciate uh, your call. Roger, what do you think? first thought on, a, on that was that in Southern California, we have rolling blackouts and we have no choice whether or not we want our house to be shut off, whether, and I'm, you know, thinking even further, you know, that could be medical devices and everything else. We don't have a right. choice. Mm -hmm. These folks, um, I guess they joined the incentive program so that they could get something out of it. And maybe they should have wrote, read it a little bit closer so that they had a good idea of what was going on. Mm -hmm. But the idea of having them having the power, you know, over something in our house, I guess, is another thought that I had while I was waiting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the idea, so basically what and the point you're making, Roger, and I think it's a good one is in this case here, um, I'm looking at the liberty part of it, you know, the, uh, the privacy that this is my home, you can't tell me what to do part. But at the same time, if they did enroll in the program, and there's a very strong possibility, I think you and I both know, that most people read the, I get a $100 credit, and I get a $25 credit, and they didn't read the, you could force me to cool my house to 80 degrees part. You know, they, they read the, where's my check part? And, and, I, and I understand that. You know, and, and I've never understood the rolling blackout, rolling brownout need either. You know, the idea where they just say, we're going to arbitrarily shut you down for an hour and a half or two hours or whatever, because there's just too much usage and we're just going to make everybody suffer. Does that seem to you, Roger, does it seem more 
environmentally conscious? Does it seem more of a business decision? Does it seem more politically motivated in terms of let's get everybody all up in arms because they don't have power now and we want to show them how dangerous this is to not have power? Well, I guess I just think that the because California wants to do what they want to do with the cars and everything else, the electric cars, um, they need to do something more with the power grid. Um, Governor, I heard say that he could have, they could have bought more power from somewhere else and they have a lot of money. So that's a possibility too. It's just, um, and I think the people just needed to read closer. Um, I know people around my neighborhood who have two air conditioners and part of the way they get around that is they have one of them that's on that system with uh, the local company and one of them that isn't. So they kind of play both sides. Well, that's interesting. I, that, that's something I, I have to admit I would not have thought to do. But if you can, you know, get it to where you've got one being powered by one source and one being powered by another, I guess if you have the option, why not? You know, I mean, you can uh, you could go ahead and work the system just as much as the system can work you. Well, Roger, I appreciate your uh, uh, your your comments. Are you keeping cool in Temecula today? I'm I work in La Jolla most of the time, so I'm I, I come home and go, why do I live out here? But I was yeah, going to I was going to say, I now have no sympathy for you if you work in La Jolla. I mean, that's uh, good for uh, you. It's that's a beautiful a, drive, you yeah. know, but um, it's a long one. But uh, have a nice afternoon. Thanks. Okay, you too. Thanks for your call. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's a good point that Roger brings up about the uh, the not only the voluntary nature, but also is there a way around the system? I mean, I, I there, there's a part of me when I read this and heard about this report that was that I was I, I'm not a big smart technology person. Ask my wife. I'm not the gadget person in the home. She's the gadget person, and uh, so she loves that stuff. All the apps, she's got them. I don't. And, but both of us are like, hey, wait a minute. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. We do have Alexa in our home because the home that we purchased recently is a so-called smart home. And we do have the option of, you know, having that on. I don't want Alexa listening to our conversations, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, because it's happened. I mean, and maybe you've had this happen too with the smart technology. We'll be, you know, it's getting ready first thing in the morning, getting ready. Uh, getting up, having breakfast. I've, I've got a kind of a vitamin pill regimen, kind of anal about that. And then also I have a couple of uh, medications I need to take for my heart. And I'll make some mention to Lisa about, oh, we need, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And 10 minutes later, I'll walk back into the kitchen before I'm heading out the door. And uh, there's Alexa posting something on the picture saying, oh, by the way, you know, uh, you can reorder this because you ordered it online last time. And I'm like, how'd you know? You know, <laughs> stop listening to my conversations. Stop eavesdropping. It is very interesting, but I think it, it also brings up, you know, there's the privacy issue. There's also the issue for us in the body of Christ who are, um, you know, looking at the culture around us and, and, and beginning to ask more questions about, well, I like the convenience part of smart television. I like the convenience part of having smart home technology. I like the convenience part of the smartphone. Have you noticed what the one constant is in all three of those devices? Yeah smart as if we're smarter people because we have smartphones that we use with our smart technology in our homes and we watch our smart televisions but the question we have to ask then is well what are we giving up not only in our freedoms and our liberties 
but also what, what is it doing to the way we think, to the way we experience other people, to the way we share our faith, to, to the way we actually even consider the role that God plays in our relationship. Still taking your calls, especially if you were impacted by this outage in the Denver area, 800-227-5278. Um, or if you've ever been uh, kind of uh, in a situation where you were used to overriding the system, the smart technology, and all of a sudden you find out that you don't really have that kind of authority after all. Now, this was based on a voluntary system, but what happens when we get to the point where all of the technology in homes is so-called smart technology and it's all controlled? Well, let's, let's walk down the road a little bit on the other side of this break and see what could conceivably happen if the electrical power grid becomes overtaxed and too many people are dependent upon it. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Let Wilson Financial Services help you identify proprietary financial strategies for your wealth that work for your life. Let's revisit our one-year CD. Had a client who had $500,000 of retained earnings in his corporation for the last three years. I said, if you'd have put that into this account three years ago, you'd have seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of interest versus what you have now, which is a nice round number. Had a client sell his house, had 450000 in the bank. I told him, is he really not likely to buy a house in the next 12 months? You want to leave this in the bank earning nothing? Or would you like to earn some interest on it over the next 12 months? So he said, how much? I said, well, how about between twenty and 30000 He says, zero versus twenty or 30000 Yeah, he says, I like the twenty or 30000 Sounds better. Aren't you tired of earning nothing with all the money you have in the bank? Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We've been talking about the Excel Energy Company in Denver, literally locking 22,000 of their customers out of any ability to change their thermostats on a sweltering,ly hot day. Uh, 90 degree temperature in Denver last Tuesday, and 80 degrees was as cool as you could get your house for a period of time while they experienced what they called an emergency energy situation. And the, that was determined by the energy company, uh, the spokesperson saying, hey, people signed up for this program. It was a volunteer program, what they call their AC initiative. And basically, whenever there's an, an energy emergency, the AC rewards program, you get a $100 credit on your bill enrolling in it, and then you get a $25 annual credit for joining the program. It's a nice save a few bucks every month on your electric bill. But at what real cost? What happens when they determine there's an energy emergency and they determine what you're going to set your thermostat to? Now, it could have been worse. As Roger, our caller in the last segment, uh, noted, it could have very easily turned out to be a rolling blackout like they do in California or a rolling brownout where they just say, hey, you know what? Over the next couple hours, your power is just going out. And you don't really have a choice. But if we look beneath the surface, a couple things come to mind. First and foremost, the utilities are businesses. Whether it's natural gas, electricity, uh, when it comes to fuel for your car, uh, fuel for your home, that type of thing. All of these commodities are to be bought and sold and to do so at a profit. I know that a lot of us think, well, we got to have water, running water at our home, right? I mean, that we're civilization. I mean, we should, we should have running water. But, well, no. I mean, if you don't buy your water from the water company and somebody has to own the rights to the water and the minerals, and, you know, that it is a commodity. 
first and foremost. Secondly, I, I suppose the we're locking your thermostat at 80 degrees is better than you have no power for five hours or a day and a half or whatever. But with the increased demands on electricity in the society, we're going to find more and more of these opportunities coming our way. And you're going to have to deal with the fact that the utility is going to determine whether or not it's an emergency, not you. That's a bit of loss of our freedom, a little loss of our liberty. Some might say it's a small price to pay. But the push toward electric vehicles, for example, is going to put a huge amount of pressure on the electrical grid nationwide and state by state. Will we be able to meet the demand? Well, you heard Roger mention earlier the fact that uh, Governor Newsom in California has talked about the possibility of purchasing energy from other sources rather than creating any. Uh, why California doesn't rely more heavily on hydroelectric power boggles my mind. The big push for wind and solar power does not seem to be meeting the need as adequately. We had 700,000 people leave the Golden State that's net migration over the past decade, still have 39 million people living here. And that take taxes our resources. As Christians, we were charged with being stewards of the earth. That's a command to Adam and Eve in Genesis, and it's something that has not changed. We need to be good stewards of all of the resources that God has made available to us. So when it comes to power, nothing in scripture says you can't have a gas-powered car, but the question we have to ask is at what cost to the environment? At what cost is it going to play in terms of uh, the long-term ramifications? Is there a way that we can find cooler places to live? Our friends in the environmental sciences are telling us that we're coming up on a cooling trend in the next couple of years here uh, that is going to reverse a lot of the concerns with regard to global warming. But at the heart of all of this smart technology, please understand that we are moving closer and closer to the globalistic future that has been predicted in scripture. Your home is now infiltrated. You have television that watches you more than you watch it. You have audio programming that comes into your home. And I can assure you, I can't listen to what's happening in your home here on our frequencies for the bottom line show, but there are little devices that you have smartphone technologies and things like that, that have everything connected to your car, to your phone, to your garage door, to your front door, to your thermostat, to your telephone, to your television. They're all running through some kind of central processing system where people do have access to everything you're doing. And there will come a point where your faith in Christ will become problematic for you based on the way the data is gathered. Now, I'm not saying that as some doomsday conspiracy guy. I mean, when it happens, Thank me later, I guess. But the reality is we have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And it's not always going to be your neighbor saying, hey, you're always happy and you're a Christian. What's your secret? It may be an interrogation. It may be federal government agents. It may be your electric company. Why are you running a church in your home? That's why you're using too much electricity. Are we prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within us so that we are witnessing the true faith? That's the bottom line.